So one of the first things I wanted to pick up again with you is you were talking about storytelling and mindfulness. Yes. Now, that's very interesting. Have you ever done uh, the, uh, the mindfulness course? Yeah, so I've been a Zen practitioner for over 20 years, and I'm also a teacher in mindfulness-based stress reduction. And I teach meditation and mindfulness in mm. uh, uh, and, and with story as well. So I run a range of retreats. In fact, we've got a retreat coming up towards the end of April, mm. which is based on uh, Red Riding Hood, which is obviously looking at the you know our shadow side, etc. And so using Red Riding Hood and also meditation and mindfulness techniques. Uh, and I've been running meditation and mindfulness workshop um, courses uh, using uh, creativity. So a whole range of them: path to creativity uh, and creative writing and mindfulness. Uh, for I don't know seven or eight years now um, and we moved online when the pandemic happened so we're doing that and then actually in the summer we're going to be holding a live uh, retreat here in the Yorkshire Dales in this beautiful farm uh, very remote uh, where uh, you're steeped for five days in uh, the story. The story is the conference of the birds, uh, and uh, is a kind of pilgrimage to yourself um, uh, using meditation, mindfulness techniques, um, and creative exercises. So you must know uh, or have read Natalie Goldberg. Yes. Because I Natalie, love Natalie Goldberg. I love Natalie Goldberg, especially um, writing down the bones, which was her first. Yes. It's one of only two books, there are others, but one of two books that I would recommend to anyone that wants to write. Yes. And principally because of her Buddhist um, outlook on life, which I'm not a Buddhist, you know, Taoism is my sort of bag, you know, that's what I like, but I do appreciate Buddhism very much. But it's the, the honesty and the sort of sometimes brutality of being a writer that appeals to me because she gives these very short chapters with an explanation and she talks about um, writing from the gut, as it were, uh, when you've got fire in your belly, that, you know, having the passion, but also she brings in writing uh, exercises that she's done with her classes and describes how it works for them and describes in one scene where she sees someone that was writing quite upright and then eventually was bent down over the paper because they were writing from the guard. What, what have you taken from, from Natalie Goldberg's writing? Well, I really love, um, you know, many of her exercises, which I've done. And also there's a wonderful bit where she talks about uh, the the monks of Mount High. In fact, I went to Mount High to wow. see the running monk. And, um, you know, this idea that when you're writing, it is like doing that, being the marathon monk. And, you know, if you don't, with the Mount High monks, if you don't complete the journey, you know, it's, you, you commit harikiri, you know. So mm. it's like, you know, if you don't, if you don't show up fully on the page, it's kind of off with your toes, 
chop off your hand and so it's that sense of that this is the most important thing to mm -hmm. be and to be really present mm -hmm. um i developed some of that work a bit further and in fact on storyversity is a course called the writer's way which pete armstrong who i run the retreats with uh leads and the writer's way uses very much um meditation um techniques and to allow you to really come to yourself to, to bring yourself to the page to develop your writing slightly different from natalie goldberg's work mm. but in the same kind of area mm. about, of kind of really awake to the page awake to what's actually happening inside you and awake to what's happening in the world around you mm. i think so many of us sleepwalk our way around yeah. the world yeah. i did a uh, interview with ben okri a couple of years ago at the Yorkshire Festival of Story uh, about his book, A Prayer for the Living. Mm. And um, one of the things I asked him, because at the beginning of the book, it says, you know, read slowly. Uh, and certainly me, and I'm sure you and many others do, is that we skin read, we scan, yeah. but because we're trying to, you know, gorge things as opposed to taking our time to, uh, to, to really absorb what's on the page. And it was a, a wonderful conversation that he it said that he puts this now in all of his books uh, because he wants to wake people up mm -hmm. um, and uh, it's that sense of arriving at either your reading or your uh, writing not in a rush um, we are all guilty of it and I'm certainly guilty of mm -hmm. it but it's certainly something I, I I work on, and I work on very much within yeah. my Zen practice as well. I meditate every day, mm -hmm. uh, 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 usually with a group of other people. I run a meditation group six times a week, mm -hmm. and um, people come from all over the world. And it's that sense of stopping mm. for half an hour a day, mm. um, which I think is really important because then you can see what's happening. At our staff meetings at Settle Stories, we start the day with meditation. Mm. And no matter how crazy, even I remember when we used to run live festivals, and you know, when you're <clears> doing a live festival, everybody arrives, it's eight o'clock in the morning, and you know, there's 56 million things got to happen before doors open at 10. And I would still have everybody there, and I would still say, we'll all meditate first. Mm. Because that sense of actually being quiet, being present, allowing yourself to arrive means that you can make better decisions. You uh, you do so from a place of of sustenance, from a place of stillness, as from a place of kind of uh, craziness and rushing around. So it's being yeah. it's being in the present, as I always think about it's, it. It's just absolutely. always being in the present, and it is yes. something that we can do, but needs cultivation because of what you're right. saying—the disturbance, especially with digital devices. Yes. Well, that leads me to a question that uh, that's just occurred to me: is that I write a bit about uh, on Jelly Trumpet about I don't like the, the phrase a writer's block. But I call it an impasse. And my my theory is, well, I know this for a fact, it's because I used to keep, you've heard probably, I think I've mentioned it to you before, a medicine journal. So I used to write, I still do, write about my writing and all the creative stuff I do. So it becomes like a coach. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's full of uh, tips from workshops and from books, etc. Mm -hmm. But essentially coming back to that, and we'll call it the writer's block. The writer's block for me I discovered for me was that I was a 
simply asking the wrong question and being fixated by that question again and again and again. And so therefore it was an impasse. What would you say to creatives about when you get to that impasse? How would you tackle it? The first thing I think is go for a walk. (laughs) Go for a walk, let it go. Mm. I think that when we grasp at anything in life, whether it happens to be your writing or, uh, you know, the song that you're creating or the dance piece or or indeed, you know, a project that you're managing or you whatever you want in life, mm. the more you grasp it, I think you're not free. You are caught. Mm. There's a wonderful story about the way in which monkeys are caught in Thailand um, where and I think it's uh, Uh, Jack Cornfield uh, writes about this, but others have too, where in order to catch monkeys, there is a trap, which is a, um, which is a, like a coconut shell with a slit in it and with sweetmeats inside. And the monkey puts their hand in because they want the sweetmeats, a bit like we want all that social media scrolling and all of that nonsense around us. And the monkey's caught and the monkey's caught and the monkey can't get away and the monkey's desperate to get away. The only thing the monkey needs to do to be free, joyful and happy is let go. The moment the monkey can let go, they're free. Mm. And that's the key thing. I think if you're banging your head against a brick wall, go out for a walk, forget about it. Mm. I think unless, you know, obviously there are different decisions one makes when there are certain situations one one is in where it's a life and death decision. Mm. Someone's very ill or, you know, you are you know, you're with somebody and they're having a, you know, I don't know, a a heart attack, you need to, you need to respond Mm. in the right way to ensure that they get the care that they need. But very often, actually, when we're so caught up in things, the one thing we should do is to walk away Mm. and let go. Take a pause, take a breath. Getting out in the fresh air into nature. I think, as you say, just going for a walk is, is so beneficial. We forget it. We forget that, you know. Yeah, we do. Yeah. And it's the thing, if, I, if I get really stuck, then that's what I'll do, is I'll go out, go for a walk, have a cup of tea, mm-hmm. or even go and lie down mm. bed, if necessary, you know. There's, there's many ways uh, to tackle it, I think, and it's fine yeah. that it works for you, you know, going and... Exactly. I tend to isolate myself a lot. So I have, I, have entry, I have entries in my medicine journal from when I first started with things like, go and see people <laughs> and just talk to them. Go for a walk or listen to music. I don't know if I told you this story before. When, when I first started writing very seriously, I used to play um, Bittersweet Symphony by The Verve. And right. if, you know, if you know that tune, it's the moment when the violins kick in and I think you go, it's like you were talking about Peter Brook, who I respect greatly. And he has a, a section at the end of his book. I can't remember what it is, what his book was called now, about theatre and theatre exercises. The play or something uh, like that. It was, um, there's one about provocations. There's one which is uh, the empty, not the empty space, which was Could his most... Been. Could have been, because he talks at the end of that about mask work which, you know, and I've done a really hardcore mask workshop, which is like two days of being in different types of masks. And it's interesting that when you isolate your face, you become, especially in, in the full mask, which you must have seen, in the full mask, you mould your face to that. 
and you become an automaton, basically. Mm -hmm. It's called the, the neutral. And he talks about that. Peter Brook talks about that. And that and the music and the other things, I think you tap into another level of consciousness. I don't know if you'd agree with that. And that's a place to go to. So when I'm stuck, sometimes I will go back through my diary and go, you know, go and see people, idiot, play some music, have a good time. But that is with repetition and working on yourself and your creativity, you get to that. You know, it's like learning to drive. I mean, everything is, you know, mirror signal maneuver, and then eventually you're just driving instinctively. It's the same with writing and creating, I believe, once you get into that into that space. Yeah. You have to exercise the muscle, which goes back to what we were talking about earlier with young people in schools and should it be taught. That creativity, being creative muscle, has mm. to be exercised. You can't just expect somebody to, you know, just be... Of course, there are, of course you know various geniuses around but uh, uh common folk like myself you know we need to exercise the muscle you know yeah, and that means yeah. you know what, we've got to we've got to keep on doing it yeah. you've got to have a go you've got to try it out you've got to um uh, uh but allowing then yourself to surrender to it so i've been also practicing as well with my storytelling uh, so I did a, a storytelling performance for um, a group. Uh, when was it? Wednesday, I think, evening, with a um, uh, last week um, uh, on Zoom, and I read through the story several times. I'd, I hadn't performed it very often, and with the storytelling, you're you're extemporizing a lot, improvising. You're not. Uh, it's not like a script that you've got that you can hang on to as, a, as an actor. And then when I got to presenting and to performing, I really tried to just be very, very still and allow the story to come out. And I believe that it does. Um, and uh, there were a few people there who had seen me perform it previously, and they said this time was even better, and was that, there was a feeling as though the, the story is then channeled through you. And when we're being creative, uh, and lots of people have talked about this, isn't it? It's a bit like there's, you know, the hand of God as though somebody's mm -hmm. there and they're, 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 you're, you're in flow, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's getting to that point where you're in flow, mm -hmm. you've got to be still. Mm -hmm. You've got to allow that flow to come through mm -hmm. you. Otherwise, it's not possible. You've got to be, and it's like, you know, when you're responding, if you're, whether you're writing, whether you're directing, you've got to be able to, unless you're an automaton, you are responding to this moment that's here mm. now, mm. this moment about what's, it's, it's like, you know, so often in life, isn't it, that we have uh, conversations where there's something we're worried about or whatever, and we have a conversation about what we think is going to happen in the conversation. Mm. And then we go and have the conversation, and it's nothing mm. like yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. Nothing like it. I love, I love your description like of that, of the, the channeling thing, which I've not really yes. thought about for some time. You know, for me personally, yeah. when I reach that moment of stillness, and it, and it comes at random times as well, you know, like stepping into the shower, getting in a car and driving for about 10 minutes on a, on a, on a motorway. It's just my brain yeah. 
just gets into that realm. And that I love the, the description of you channeling that story and that becoming a performance, all because mm-hmm. I, I suspect you switched everything else off and you were attending, you were just attending the story and letting it happen. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And it, so, and Diane, you, we, we all know when we're in the zone, isn't it? Yeah. We all know. And musicians have talked about it when they've, you know, written incredible songs or pieces of music. You, and uh, and it, we, in all art forms, it happens where there is, uh, and there've been people who've written, you know, a play in a weekend uh, yeah. that's gone on to be some incredible blockbuster mark, masterpiece. And it's because they, you are allowing. Uh, in a sense, that that creativity to flow through you. Uh, and it's, again, it's not about holding on. If we hold on to things, then I think they can escape us because they don't, uh, it can't flow as freely as you, you would like. Now, that said, you can't just sort of lie there and just channel life. You know, we still have to get up. You know, if you have to go somewhere, you have to, yeah. to train yeah. it. You have yeah. to, you know, there are practical things to consider. It's not just lying here doing nothing. But actually, there's an awful lot that can be achieved by stop, wait, think mm-hmm. about what you're doing, then go and do it. I like I like that. And it sort of, it threads together with uh, what I was talking about earlier about um, Natalie Goldberg and the fire yes. in the belly. Because it's like, it occurs to me, it's like a battery. You're charging your creative battery and you're getting up enough energy and then you you relax and take away all censorship from your mind. Not let that question, because with stillness with, you know, I like the calm technique and I do, um, when I do meditate, uh, standing standing like a tree, that's the standing meditation from the Taoist principles. And that teaches you to just let thoughts go by. So you create that that energy, that battery, you charge that battery and then think about channeling it by just letting it go. Because you can always come yeah. back and edit it, can't you? Of course. <clears throat> of course. You can always come back, but it's actually having a space of just like, let it go. Just allowing uh, and not kind of... Um, I'm a great believer in... I um, can't remember whether it was... Was it Natalie Goldberg who says this? or somebody who had said, so she looking at her writing books, wondering which one it's in, um, uh, where, you know, we have like a little God jar. Was it maybe Julia Cameron, you know, um, artist's way, you mm. know, that you, you can have a, a, you know, there's, you want to make a wish, something that you want uh, to do, to be, to achieve, to whatever, write it down, shove it in the jar, forget about it, mm. and, and let it go. Now, it's, it, it's like, so I remember once somebody explaining it to me like this. It's like, you know, when you go to a restaurant mm. and you order a meal, you order your meal and you trust that the meal will arrive. Mm. So you, you trust. I was there in a, in a lovely little cafe in Ambleside last weekend and um, I ordered a, a goat's cheese salad. So I had this goat's cheese, I didn't know what sort of plate would come on, how big it would be, exactly what would be in it. Mm. I knew there'd be some goat's cheese, obviously, and salad-like stuff. But, you know, exactly what it was going to be like, I didn't know. But I trusted the goat's cheese salad would arrive. I didn't go to the kitchen going, is it ready? Is it ready? I trusted. And I think it's the same way with creativity and also the things that we want in life is you put in the order to the universe, yeah. great belief, put in the order to the yeah. universe and trust 
and trust. But don't hang on to what the outcome's going to be. Don't think, oh, the goat's cheese salad is going to be like this. Because you might be disappointed then. Just allow it to come in. It's the way that it comes. It reminds me of something which I think is Natalie Goldberg, which is about feeding your compost heap. Yes. So you have all these ideas and they don't quite work. Or when you first start creating, you try and shoehorn them in somewhere and it just doesn't work. But if you lay them down and they'll come back to you. And it's happened to me, literally, I went on a writer's retreat once with the Arthur Foundation. And uh, I spent the time, who was it? Uh, We had Simon Nay. And the lady, Sue, I can't remember, wrote Birds of a Feather. But I didn't, I went there and, and you know, listened to all the talks, but I was trying to write a script, and that script was about a time traveling hotel. And I thought, well, I'll put these characters in and I'll, I'll make them brothers, you know, just because write about what you know, and I've got a brother, et cetera. And it just didn't work, it was rubbish. Ten years later, I wrote mm-hmm. it as a short story, and the first thing that occurred to me was a mother and two daughters. So I put that in, and it worked, you know, not. Great. I mean, it's something I can go back to, but it's that that trust of leaving stuff alone and seeing it because you'll make all these other connections unconsciously until you need to write something, you want to write something, and then you have the fire in the belly and you channel it. You know, that's great. I could go on. Trust. Trust. Most important. I will go. I could go on talking to you forever, but I'm going to ask you one last question and then we'll wrap up because we've done. I I could, you know, talk to you for hours. That's great. So earlier on, you were talking about going to a school and asking them what sort of story they wanted. And you said that predominantly it was a scary story, a horror story. Why do you think that is? You know, um, certainly the older children, year fives and year six, always want scary stories. And I think that uh, uh, children want to and young people it's like testing your boundary there is a safety in the scary story because you know it's going to end in a way where you're going to still be here and you're going to be all right Mm. and that you can you can face your your demons and uh the things that you find challenging in life um because they uh through these through scary stories that's one thing the second is that if you're doing a scary story and you are really taken in by it, you're there and they're there on the edge of your seat and you're very focused. You can't think about something else. It's like if you're climbing on a climbing wall. You know, you can't be thinking about something else because you've got to be very, very focused about where your hand is, where your feet are. And it's a stave with fear. Is that when we are caught with fear, we cannot think about something else. We can't think about the watching, the ironing, what I should have done, what I should have said. No, we're focused here. Actually, when you are focused and when you are present, Mm. Not only does that in the end make you happier, but mm. it actually is a calming, it's an easier way to deal with life. And I think that it's part of that, and I think it's partly that by um, hearing and listening to scary stories and getting over them, getting through them, I think that young people learn to face their demons and face mm. the thing that is scary in life which we all have to do mm-hmm. to deal with what life has to offer us. Lovely. Very, very interesting. Lovely. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap it up there, but we will talk again. We will talk again because it's been Good. an absolute delight. So Sita Brand from um, Settle Stories, thank you very much. Thank you.